0: This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM
1: channel 371. Durham Power Hour is upon us as we continue to stream live on the ESPN app. Number for the show is 844 Say ACCN. Mark Packer, West Durham, cast of thousands behind the scenes. The smart people are up in Bristol. <laughs> the dogs are sound asleep, and it is smoking hot out today, <laughs> wherever you may be. So be careful. That's true. That.
2: That's true. Uh, coming up, Anson Dorrance. Champion soccer coach, North Carolina at 930 uh, this morning ahead of the Hidden Dynasty documentary tomorrow night here on ACC Network. But we're going to try and put a a bit of a bow on baseball here. Uh, The finality of Notre Dame losing yesterday to Texas A&M and the uh, College World Series still kind of lingering. But Gabby Sanchez joins us this morning from uh, South Florida. He's been kind with his time throughout the spring. Uh, I said this in the first segment today. The finality of this thing, unless you win, the finality kind of stinks because it's truly a winner's event when you get to Omaha. You win, everybody's all keep going, (laughs) da-da-da. But, man, when it's over, bottom falls out, Gabby.
0: Uh, It definitely does. Uh, Here's the thing, though. As a team, the the whole entire goal in the beginning of the year is to make it to Omaha, to be one of those Hmm. final eight teams to get there. So, of course, once you get there, it's like, okay, we accomplished that goal. Now that goal changes to let's win Omaha. But at the end of everything, you look at the season. You were one of the last eight-team standings. You you know, you won a game in Omaha. You were looking good. Yeah, last night wasn't great for Notre Dame. But still, they have to walk out, out of there with their heads held up high. They had a great season. It's tough because when you're getting into Omaha, you're playing against teams that are playing really good baseball, teams that are really hot. Like you look at like a team like Old Miss where they went through Coral Gables regional and they just breezed through that one, breezed through Super Regionals. They are just hot right now going. They were one of my dark horses to probably win the whole entire thing with the way that they've been playing. And that's what happens when you get to Omaha, you start to run into teams that are in that way. And you're going to, you know, doesn't mean that the best team won, but the hottest team is going to win.
1: Yeah, and you know The other thing, too, is your bats. You got to hit, right? I mean, you pitch. I mean, yeah. it's the ultimate team game. But the thing that surprised me the most, Gabby, and you're right, Notre Dame had a tremendous year in getting to Omaha for the third time ever. The job link Jared's done, sensational. But, you know, it's another thing to to be eliminated when you didn't play well. I, I was really surprised about yesterday you know, you know you, teams have off days i get that you know oklahoma yeah. on sunday night beat notre dame and they were the better team they hit better pitch better better defense the whole thing i didn't expect notre dame to give me the back-to-back clunker and yesterday i gotta be honest with you that didn't look like the notre dame team uh from a consistency standpoint they, they did the little things that they've done all year catch the baseball don't make errors solid right. pitching it just kind of all unraveled. And it just didn't look like the typical Notre Dame team. And that's what was disappointing about the loss yesterday. It has been one thing, hey, we played well. That guy just beat us. But I didn't think Notre Dame played very well yesterday. And that stinks coming off what was really, really a terrific year.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially with a team like Notre Dame that's run by Link Jarrett. Uh, their biggest thing the whole entire season has been that pitching and defense right. and going up against even Tennessee before getting there, pitching and defense and then timely hitting. That has been their calling card to win ball ballgames. Uh, yesterday, you're right, it just kind of fell apart. That could be a number of things. You, you go down early, you're trying to do too much, you're trying to make overextended on plays, you, th- those things then unravel, and then you're trying to catch up and to catch up, you, you need the team that's going to go out there and, and just start dropping some bombs. And that's not kind of the team that they are. They're a team that keeps things close, and then they're able to beat you because of that great defense, because of that great, you know, starting pitching and bullpen. But you you know, it happens. It's baseball, and that's why baseball is such a, a fun game because you will have that every once in a while where what got you there all of a sudden you just had one bad game, and when you're in Omaha, one bad game leads to go ahead and you're
2: out of here. Yeah, I think you're right about that. The 2-0 advantage is such a strong, strong position to be in uh, in the way the format works, even with adding the two out of three, Gabby, once you get to that point. I mean, when you get to that final series of two out of three, the 2-0 thing still is just such such an unbelievable obstacle to have to overcome for other teams. Uh, I want to go to you here on Link Jarrett. Um, Look, he was good enough after the game to answer the question about Florida State and minimizing distractions and focusing on his team. And to be honest, he said all the right things, and he's done the right things. And it looks to me as if he was able to hold true to Notre Dame on this. But now we're getting ready to get to the business of this. I mean, the business is getting ready to hit him in the face because it is his school. He is from Tallahassee. But, Gabby, I bet, I guess I've seen enough of these to know that it just can't be that easy. Notre Dame is still Notre Dame. Florida State is Florida State. I get it. And I know where baseball is at two places, and it's a
0: little different at both.
2: But is he the next coach at Florida State in your mind?
0: Absolutely, 100%. I don't see any other coach at Florida State other than Link Jarrett. I think what happened with Mike Martin Jr. over there was that they knew that clemson was open and it looked like he was going to be the front runner for that clemson job and then all of a sudden Florida State said hold on hold your horses here we're gonna make our change that way you know we want you over here and i think that's why they made that change once all those kind of things started to happen but i i don't see link jared going anywhere but florida state um he played there he lives around there that's where he's that's where he's gonna go and then he has to make that decision kind of quick now because they do have the transfer right. portal and, and him going over there, he he does a really good job of getting players and getting the right players for a team. You know, when he first got into Notre Dame, remember, they were terrible defensively. And then, and then all of a sudden he got there and the next year, they're one of the best defensive teams in the country. So he knows how to recruit players. He knows how to get players. And now with the transfer portal, I mean, I was reading something too where Tommy White was talking about going to FSU. That's so. That is correct. So there could there could there be some guys who all of a sudden Link Jared goes over to Florida State and says, "Hold on a second, we want to go play for this man." I know that if I was playing college, I've seen the way that he practices, guys. I've seen the intensity that he has during practice, but he makes it fun. I would I would love to play for Link Jared when I was still playing.
1: Yeah, I mean, now that the ACC baseball season is officially over. Uh, And we still have that scratch-our-head moment when it comes to the Atlantic Coast Conference and closing the deal in Omaha. It's just kind of goofy how it's just not been uh, – that relationship has just been rocky at best. Even though we get there a bunch, we just don't seem to win it a whole lot. But when you look back at this ACC baseball season, it was really an amazing year. I mean, 12 of the 14 teams were ranked at some point in time. Uh, we talked about a number of teams that got the NCAA bid. We wish more teams had made it to Omaha, but, hey, Notre Dame knocking off uh, Tennessee was got obviously the biggest upset of the year. Uh, how would you surmise ACC baseball for the 22 season now that this thing's over?
0: I think it was definitely the best ACC baseball uh, that I've seen uh, with just competition wise, with players wise, um, you know, Virginia tech finally making it to a super regional wanted them for sure to make it to Omaha. Cause that would have been a great story, the way that they were playing, but you know, they were even picked to be one of the last teams in the ACC and look how they made that turnaround and how they played. Uh, you got guys like Vance Honeycutt who just emerged onto the scene who, in my opinion, when he's draft eligible, he might be one of the first two picks in the draft with what he has um, then you start going around to like a Notre Dame a Notre Dame team that was just what a Notre Dame team has been the last couple of years. Very good defensively, very good um, on the defensive side. And you go four on four on Miami. You know they had a great run at it. So at the end of everything, for me, it was the toughest probably conference in uh, NCAA. I would have to think because just like you said, twelve out of the fourteen teams were ranked. And these guys really didn't lose out-of-conference games. The only games that most of these teams lost were in conference, and they were just beating up on each other, which made it great to watch just because you were getting really good baseball throughout the whole entire ACC play.
2: All right, Gabby, does it speak to continuity? I know there's the volatility of the portal. There's certainly the draft that comes up there in a, a week or so. Uh, does the continuity of this success have staying power though in this league in your mind
0: i think it does and the reason why is because you're starting to see a lot more high school players go into college and uh, just because of the draft being cut down to 20 rounds all of a sudden now these MLB teams are saying, hold on a second, we, we need to go and get guys out of you know college. Yeah, they're still going to have your high school guys, your top guys in the first couple rounds get taken. But you're going to have a lot more guys who now go to college because more college players are being taken. And I think that's what's going to keep that continuity going. You're seeing a lot of guys coming out from college that – I mean, that wasn't when I was playing where you have these guys throwing, you know, 95, 97 coming out of the bullpen, guys who could be starters, who are moving into that pen, which makes it harder for the hitters. You're having hitters coming out like a Tommy White who are emerging onto the scene, who are hitting home runs all over the place. You're seeing more power. I think that's going to continue just because just from the MLB draft point, more college Mm -hmm. players will be taken, more high school guys will go into college, which I think – if you're a high school player, unless you're taken in that first round where you're going to be making a ridiculous amount of money, you go to college, get yourself your education, get yourself three years of learning, of living on your own, because that helps you in the minor leagues. Uh, trust me, I played a lot with guys in the minor leagues who went from, from high school straight to to you know to, to the pros, and it wasn't the same for them as a college guy coming out. And I think that MLB teams have seen that, and that's why they're starting to – you know, Mm. go more towards the, the college rankings.
1: Yeah. I guess the last piece of business for the baseball season, even from a team standpoint, we're done in this league would be Kevin Parada who could win the golden spikes coming up this week. And and again, it's probably a long shot to a degree, but uh, he's on that short list and man, what a player he is. What a great year.
0: Oh boy. He is something else. You're looking at a guy who's going to be, I would say a top 10 pick. Absolutely. I even put him in the top five where he's going to be coming out of the draft. Just what he can do offensively. He is so smooth to the baseball, so easy and free with his hands. Then you'd put him behind the plate, the way he catches, the way he throws. Uh, Just a tremendous ball player. And I wouldn't be surprised if he wins the Golden Spikes just because I feel like he's put up the numbers to be able to do that. Uh, Only time will tell. Well, I guess we'll be able to see here shortly, but – just, just an outstanding player, and a team. Any team that drafts him is going to be lucky because they have a good one in him.
2: All right, we're going to go Marlins for Parada. Then, Gabby, is that what we're going to do? We're going to lean Marlins for Parada. When they asked me,
0: and he's the, he's available. Heck, yeah.
1: I hate to break the news to you. He's going to be a a San Francisco Giant. That's where all the great ACC players go. No, he's not. All the great ACC players are San Francisco Giants.
2: He's not. No. He's not. You're picking late. You had too good a year last year. He's not going to be a Giant. There's no chance he will not make it to
1: that point. Listen. I don't think he's making it to the Marlins, to tell you the truth. I got news for you. We're going to toss Brandon Belt. We're going to put Joey Barton at first base, we need a catcher. Parada's oh my guy, and he's going to be catching oh. Carlos Rodon from NC State. That's how we oh roll in San Francisco, me. baby.
0: All NC Some trades to get him, that's for sure. Uh, hey, that, hey, that that's Can all, happen. Yeah.
1: yeah, that could happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the only way he's going there. You better <laughs> trade for him.
2: Hey, Gabby, I uh, really appreciate your time. You've been very kind to join us uh, throughout the spring here in postseason. Uh, take care, my man. See you soon.
0: I hope no thank you guys for having me it's always fun being on the show
2: all right gabby sanchez our acc network uh, baseball analyst terrific guy thanks for his time when we come back i'll tell you who my ultimate acc quarterback is Pack, you see that tease right there that video yeah back with more in a moment this is
1: the packer and durham podcast Packer and Durham on a Wednesday. 844-SAY-ACCN. May thanks to Gabby Sanchez. The legendary Anson Dorrance coming up in about uh, 10 or 15 minutes. But it is time for West Durham to unveil the ultimate ACC quarterback. Here we go. Who's producing this
2: show again? What's his name? Josh. Is that right? Josh. Voice of Victory. Josh and, yeah, the Voice of Victory. Angela Travado. Chrissy is pretty. also here today. We got the back row rolling. Uh, all right, here we go. Ultimate ACC quarterback. I told you Packer and I have three categories that are exactly identical from what Mark did. Uh, one, however, is not arm strength. Hmm. Because when I started with arm strength, remember we had these eight categories, seven categories. Uh, and I um, I started with arm strength, and I went, and we kind of spoiled it with the T's, I went with Keaton Slovis. Because uh, I went back and kind of looked at yards per attempt and things like that, Keaton Slovis. I now DJ. Yes, there's no question he can send it. So can Slovis. Mm. So mm, I'm gonna take Keaton that. Slovis. Well, okay, you have your list. I have
1: mine. Yeah, I know, but I don't know. about There's that. Slovis.
2: Okay. Uh, accuracy, we are the same. Yeah. And this one was not difficult because the first name that comes to mind is the most accurate passer in the ACC, and that's the king of the QB sneak, Devin Leary. Um, I mean, 35 TDs, five picks, but throws the ball where the guys can catch it. It's got to be behind, back shoulder. Yep, got that too. High and away, got that too. Um, you don't put the numbers. Up that he did, and not be accurate. Yep. It's just that simple to yeah. me. Yeah, I'm with you.
1: Beet um, ju- juice is hard to beat when it comes to that. Now, beet juice can do it. <laughs> beet juice,
2: <laughs> great. You're gonna be waiting on me this fall to say beet juice, aren't you? During the game, it's yeah. up to you. That's what you're looking for. It's up to you. Anything yeah, I can do dollars. to help
1: the broadcast? Anything I can do to help the yeah, broadcast? Yeah. All right. Uh, we are
2: um, we are the same on size. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear a page from EJ Manual on this. EJ's manual, if you will. Um, I I thought Phil Jakovic was big. I knew DJ was big. Uwe Ungalile. Phil Jakovic is big. Yeah. And the 6'5 is closer to 6'6. And the 226 listed here is maybe toward 230. But he wears it well. That's a big guy now. Yeah. Um, He's another guy with a big arm, too. But Djokovic is he's got the NFL marks on size. There ain't no question about that part. Yep. At all. Speed. I was really torn here. Pack. I was really torn. Um, there are actually three. I narrowed it down to two. Um Yeah, 1A, 1B, 1C. and I get it. Go ahead. I didn't do that. I did not do that. I didn't do it. But let me me give you the secret one here. Jordan Moore at Duke is big time fast. Okay? So he's in the neighborhood, but the discussion for me was Cunningham and Jordan Travis. Because Jordan Travis is electric in the open field. But at the end of the day... I went with Cunningham because it is consistent speed. Not that Travis isn't, but Malik Cunningham makes stuff happen. You know? I mean, busted plays, and this guy is gone. And, uh, you know, you can use Lamar as the comp or Vic or whatever you want to do. Jordan Travis is more like the old Georgia Tech quarterback Justin Thomas for me, but I'll stay with Malik Cunningham. Um, because I I just think he's got he's got high end speed. Agreed. Football IQ. Football IQ here is an interesting discussion for me because this was a Tyler Van Dyke Devin Leary discussion, and I went with Leary because Devin played the whole season. Had Van Dyke played the whole season, there's a possibility I may have gone with him. But I like what Devin Leary does. I like the fact that the continuity with Tim back for a second year, things like that. Uh, I think Van Dyke is close, real close. But Devin Leary's football moxie maybe gives him the slight edge. Part of the football IQ for TVD, by the way, is arm slot too Um, and his ability to deliver the ball in a lot of different ways. Uh, vision which is where I think did you go you went TVD with vision didn't you? I did Um, yep I went Sam Hartman here uh, because I think Sam Hartman is a guy who understands the full array of what they're trying to do with coach Clawson and Warren Ruggiero Uh, his ability to speed the game up slow it down understand coverage things of that nature and I just think he may have a big year. I think the the fact we joke around about him being there so long, I, I think that I think Sam Hartman's
1: maybe headed to a big, big number. Why wouldn't uh, he? Wake Forest. Why wouldn't he have a big name? Yeah. He's got everybody back. And that's why I put him as my number one IQ guy, Wes, is just what you talked about. Yeah. Changes speed. Uh, that offense is so mm-hmm. different. It's unique with the long mesh and everything else. But nevertheless, I think there's a lot yep. of guys you could put – I and mean, that's why I think these are good debate topics because, I mean, like Brennan Armstrong, mm-hmm. you could have put in all these. I mean, again, I know you're not done with your list, yep. but um, th- th- this this league has got really a ton of talented dudes. That's why it's tough to figure this one out.
2: Yep. Toughness for me, and I know you went Schrader. I did. Uh, I, went, I went Brennan Armstrong here. Get it? Because I thought last year he got smoked at times and just stood in there and made plays. And we know all about the ribs and everything else. And, I mean, this guy is, you know, Robert Anai, who's now the OC at Syracuse, called Bryce Perkins the thorterback, like Thor, the cartoon, the comic book character. I think Brennan Armstrong may be more of a thorterback than Bryce Perkins. Just his toughness, his size, the whole bit. So, uh, I'm going to go with Brennan Armstrong. Now, the leadership piece. Wow, um, you got plenty of guys to choose from. I just went with the most experienced guy, and for me, that's Sam Hartman. Um, I think they've obviously been incredibly successful—the double-figure win season a year ago, where he talked about it in July and delivered it in November. Um, and for me, that you know solidified him in my mind as uh, as being in the discussion as potentially Wake's greatest quarterback. But uh you know, and I'm sure he'll tell you you got to win championships to do that. Raleigh Skinner did it. Jay Venuto, other great weight quarterbacks of the past, right? I am. Uh, so, uh, but leadership wise Sam Hartman's my pick.
1: I, I gotta tell you, I am a bit surprised because I didn't know what your list was, that we have eight traits for ACC quarterbacks and not one time did you list Tyler Van Dyke, who may at the end of the day, mm-hmm. Be the best quarterback in the league. The I mean, who knows? Just never know. It might be. Yep. It's a, it it little, might be. The league is um, tough, man. The league has terrific quarterbacks. Oh, what?
2: Let me tell you this. If we start putting this stuff down on paper, I mean, I think well, we this did. is list season, as we've said. The month no, we, of June and early no. July is list
1: season. Yeah. We, we did put it down on paper. But,
2: yeah. But we start, if we get into this whole ranking business, well, I
1: tell you, there one, is no right answer. If uh, ACC Network social media team, if they put our list up on social media, you'll see some responses. I, pr- I oh, yeah, promise we'll you, you will see some responses. Sure, I'll hear from the Miami people. That's
2: fine. There, we've we've already well, had we... a long, illustrious relationship. <laughs> All right. When we come back, the uh, the guy who basically crafted a dynasty at the University of North Carolina in women's soccer, joins us next. The great Anson Dorrance on Packer and Durham, right after this. Packer and
3: Durham. In February of Mia's senior year, I'm driving through the park and all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, I can see this figure doing what looked like our fitness session. And I'm thinking, my gosh, that's our stuff. So I pulled into a parking lot near this field, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's me! And between these sprints, I can see her just hunched over, hot air shooting from her lungs, sweat flying off her brow, and I was just so impressed. And she wasn't even aware that I was there. I scribbled in a note to her. I dropped it in the mail, and I forgot about it.
2: And it just said, the vision of a champion is someone who's drenched in sweat, bent over from exhaustion when no
1: one else is watching. And I think for me, he was validating that I finally understood kind of what it took. And, and
2: it, it took me a while to get there as a player and as a person and to know that, that I was there um, you know, that, that transformed my career because I was, that accountability um, was consistent. That's why that note meant so much to me.
1: Wow. Pretty cool. Woo! Handwritten Wait. notes, Wes, I'm telling uh, you. Never go out of style.
2: Tomorrow night, uh, 8 o'clock, Hidden Dynasty, the story of Carolina's women's soccer program produced by Ross Greenberg, who, of course, is a name familiar to great sports documentaries, long work at HBO. And uh, what a pleasure to welcome Anson Dorrance uh, to Packer and Durham Live this morning from Chapel Hill. Coach, uh, I got to tell you, um, this is a treat because, and you well know, I mean, I've, I've been a huge fan for years of the success and the, and the program you've built but now to put it down in documentary form um you know what 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 did you learn by by going through the process of seeing this produced about the program you built in chapel hill
3: well obviously uh, i was extraordinarily proud that someone would want to do a documentary uh and then ross did a, a fantastic job uh, they allowed us to look at it uh, so we have a preview before uh, we get to see it tomorrow night uh, Uh, but uh, it was so enjoyable and what was most enjoyable, honestly, was uh, they interviewed the kids. And so, yes, you saw a piece of the Mia Hamm interview, but, you know, some of my favorite players of all time were interviewed in this. And it's almost like, uh, you know, being alive at your own funeral uh, and these people are saying such nice things about you uh, and it's just, uh, you're listening to your own eulogy. And for me, I mean, it's just so heartfelt. So. uh, Uh, I really appreciated uh, the investment that uh, all these different groups were making. Certainly the ACCN uh, and Ross coming in with his great team and and then uh, obviously interviewing our kids. And so for me, uh, uh, this is uh, very special.
1: Coach, uh, the clip that we just aired uh, with Mia Hamm, who was a superstar among superstars. I I thought that exchange just by itself was telling both ways. Number one, what she meant to you and what you meant to her. And to me, that's always like the ultimate respect, isn't it, in terms of the coach and player relationship and whether you win championships or not. It's almost immaterial to a degree, but just the fact that, hey, today we're trying to get better, and the only way you get better mm-hmm. is to work, and you work when you're by yourself. Or I thought that, that snippet right there to me was the essence of coaching and player relationships, isn't it?
3: Well, Mark, thank you. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, part of uh, the relationship between uh, the players and coaches should be, uh, uh, you know, uh, I will uh, ask things of you. In other words, work yourself to death. And then if you do that for me, I'm going to believe in you. So there's this exchange going back and forth. Uh, And uh, so that note was a confirmation of all the work she had done uh, because uh, she did work. And when anyone sees a superstar and uh, any great uh, a coach of great athletes will tell you this, it's the player that somewhere along the line made a decision to just get after it. And not just get after it occasionally. They wake up in the morning and they've decided, yep, today I'm going to get better. They wake up the next morning, yep, I'm also going to get better today. And so that note was a confirmation of what Mia decided to do to become basically the best player in the world. So, yes, uh, Mark, you're spot on.
2: Anson, there's so many things and so much of a a chronology to talk about in the building of the Carolina success in women's soccer. Uh, I guess I remember, and I'm going to go back to my childhood here. When I was a teenager, I remember my dad telling me one time he had interviewed you when you were still coaching both men and women. And you told him during the course of the interview that it was different coaching the men's team than the women's team. You had to almost operate two different kind of boards of psychology, if you will, or motivation. So a decision point in the success of this program had to be when you exclusively coached women. When, when did you make that move and how did you determine to make that change and make that singular move, if you will?
3: Uh, Wes, you're spot on. I mean, for me, honestly, when I was given that women's team, it was a brave new world. I went to a boys boarding school. Uh, for my high school education. The closest I came to a woman in those days, I had the leading female role in the school play my senior year. So that was my relationship with women in high school. So for me, this was like, are you kidding me? You know, who is entrusting me with this team? So it was just absolutely nuts. And I, I, I made a travesty of it at first. I thought men and women were the same. Uh, the feminist literature back in the early 70s were saying the only reason men and women were different is our environments pushed us in different directions. And so I was gonna correct decades of, you know, sociological error and treat my men and women the same. And gosh, it was a disaster. So for me, it was just adjusting to the fact that they're not exactly like your men's team. Um, But uh, for me, it was just an evolution in learning uh, about uh, uh, how they wanted me to lead them. And then uh, I chose the women. Uh, Coaching two teams uh, was Mm -hmm. just overwhelming eventually. And I went in and shared uh, with John Swafford that, uh, John, this is killing me. And I had a great men's assistant back in the day. And I love coaching the women because they were actually coachable. I mean, a lot of the Mm -hmm. times when you're coaching elite men, they're fighting you. Uh, And the women uh, did not fight you. They were wonderfully coachable. So uh, I chose the women. Uh, and uh, I loved, uh, you know, different aspects of coaching the men and different aspects of coaching the women. Uh, but the bottom line is I decided to go uh, with uh, the women. And looking back, it was just a, an incredibly good decision. I have loved every day of this.
1: Coach, if I mm-hmm. said to you, title nine, uh, what, what's mm-hmm. the first thing that pops in your head?
3: Well, it was the explosion of our sport. Uh, talk about um, just catching that wave uh, 72 is obviously we're celebrating 50 years of of title IX now but my program was on the cusp of the beginning of that we were the first women's varsity in the south and obviously that gave us a huge advantage and then what we used to do is i would just demonstrate to people uh, across the spectrum uh, the ads uh, across the country i would send them uh, my budget uh, to let them know that very inexpensively they could, you know, bring in a women's soccer team and start to check boxes for Title IX. And so that's exactly what happened. Uh, The SEC came in just wholesale uh, one year. Uh, Obviously their ADs got together and said, you know, we've got to start to check these boxes. Uh, So it was, uh, uh, that was the driving force behind the evolution of our game, because all of a sudden more and more and more teams jumped in and it became the fastest growing sport uh, in, in, collegiate uh, athletics and so for me uh, we all owe a huge debt to title nine
2: you know it's interesting the the emergence of women's sports here in in 2022 and in 2020s if you will Anson, has been fascinating to watch but it's got to be somewhat of a step back and smile moment for you because you've seen this whole thing take shape you've seen the emergence not just of soccer i mean we've watched what Karen's done in field hockey at Carolina and that sport nationally. What Jenny's done in lacrosse and that sport nationally. Now we see softball in the spring take shape. Women's basketball has, has been on the rise now for the better part of 20 years. Is that a step back and smile for Anson Dorrance?
3: Well, there's no question. But also, um, thank goodness I'm here. I mean, if you look at the caliber of our leadership through the years, from the gentleman that hired me and had the vision to start a women's soccer program, I mean, Mr. Bill Kobe. I owe a huge debt. I mean, I ended up uh, going from Rainbow Soccer, a co-educational rec league in Chapel Hill, that was my coaching resume, to the top of Division One. Are you kidding me? Uh, I love teasing my colleagues whenever I'm talking about, uh, you know, I didn't go, you know, from high school to junior college to, you know, division three, two, and then finally uh, get to a school like the University of North Carolina. I went from coeducational recreational soccer in in Chapel Hill to the top of division one. So it was uh, Mr. Bill Kobe, uh, but then he's the one that said, Anson, come look at this women's club. They've petitioned for varsity status. Tell me what you think. And I'm thinking, I have no issue with this. I watched them play, I thought they were great. I had a list of coaches uh, that I was gonna, you know, recommend uh, to him when I was hired as the men's coach. And I was thinking, I'm gonna shill for this wonderful club coach. And I would love a colleague, another team on campus. And then all of a sudden he said, Anson, I'll make your part-time men's position full-time if you will also coach the women. And so leaders like uh, uh, Bill Kobe, uh, but all the leaders we've had here, uh, just going through all of them, I mean, SWAF and uh, uh, I, you know, personally, I, I absolutely loved uh, all of our leadership. And even now, I mean, I love being in an environment where the women's teams are respected. And you're not respected unless the uh, athletic director is fully in uh, with th- that culture. And we've been, uh, we've had athletic directors that have been fully in uh, with the uh, women's athletic teams in this campus from the beginning, going all the way back to Mr. Bill uh, Kobe. And so we owe all of them uh, a great debt. And uh, I've, and you know, Mr. Badur, I mean, I just absolutely love the man. I mean, I've, I've got relationships with all of them, uh, all of them. I mean, right now I love playing pickleball with my current boss. Uh, Bubba Cunningham, so the relationships they've established across the board for all of the women's coaches and teams, it's unique here at UNC, and I love being a part of it.
1: God, uh, God, there's so many things I want to take from that statement number one I don't care what it is it's of an athletic department a pizza parlor an insurance company a network uh, if you're weak at the top you're bound to fail right you've got to have great leadership it starts at the top and that is so true regardless of the walk of life but you just said something at the end I was gonna ask you something about recruiting I'm like no forget that I want to know this Those pickleball games with Bubba now, I got to figure, uh, don't fool anybody. The competitive nature on both sides has got to be pretty intense when you two get together for a pickleball match.
3: Well, I gotta give Bubba full credit. Um, He comes from a tennis background. His overheads are devastating. So if we get that ball up a little high, it's coming right down your throat. And the thing I love about Bubba is he doesn't have any compassion for you. I mean, he's actually aiming it at the side of your head. And so uh, you better take your sunglasses off because I'll tell you those sunglasses might be driven right into the back of your brain. Uh, And I love playing with him. I love playing against him. Uh, And he's created this incredible uh, culture here among all the coaches as we get together and celebrate all kinds of things. Now, I don't go on his 5Ks with him. Uh, Gosh, I hate running. And I, I, I hate to admit that after all these years of playing soccer, you know, most of my life, but I hate running. So what do I jump into? Yeah, I jump into the pickleball contest and he's an excellent player.
1: Well, I can relate to hating uh, the running part of it. I totally get all that stuff. By the way, yesterday, Alonzo Highsmith joined us, and he's now the new GM for Miami football. Great player. The Miami, of course, the championship started with him in the 80s, and he's a talent evaluator. We talked about how college football, high school to college to pro, uh, with personnel has changed. I'm going to ask you the same question. You talked about being on the cutting edge uh, with all of this. The difference now between when you go recruit or you see you know girls playing junior high school, what, however far back you need to go. Talk about how different it is in terms of the personnel today versus where it was when this thing got started. Nutrition, uh, fundamentals, uh, intensity. I know it's a different universe, but at the core, it still has to be the same stuff, doesn't it, at the end of the day?
3: Well, it does. And uh, you are absolutely spot on, uh, although let me give credit to the all time greats. I mean, uh, the Mia Hams, the Christine Lillies, the Cindy Parlos, they would still be great in the modern game. What's changed is the average player is now gone through the roof. And now uh, in the old days, honestly, uh, there wouldn't be a player on a team outside the top 20 that could get on the field for us. And now I am looking at teams that have an RPI uh, ranking of 75, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there are three kids on that field that can step in and start for us. And so now the number of outstanding players that are playing at a collegiate level has gone through the roof. And so you're right. Uh, The youth coaches are doing a better and better job. Uh, And obviously there's so much information for them. They can watch all the great teams play. I mean, listen to this now. I mean, this will shock both of you. 91,000 people have paid top dollar to watch Barcelona play women's football in their last two home games. 91,000 people. And so what this is telling all of us is, you know what, there are gonna be a lot of soccer women millionaires out there now in our game, when 91,000 people are paying money to watch you play. And so our game's exploding. And I think it's attracting uh, these young players to jump in uh, because they see a future in it. And uh, I am so excited to, I guess, still be alive, you know, uh, when our game is just going uh, right through the roof.
1: Uh, coach uh, as far as this documentary goes what is is there a moment that again we just saw the me ham thing which I thought was great but is there a moment this documentary that that even caught you by surprise that you might have learned something from a player that man I never realized that
3: well um, what I absolutely love is uh, their memory of their four years in Chapel Hill and I'll tell you Uh, If this doesn't recruit for us, uh, you know, I don't know what else anyone can do, because holy cow, uh, I love uh, what my kids are saying on this documentary about uh, their experience, because it's not like, uh, you know, we're easy on them. I mean, our demands for these young women to compete at the highest level are pretty extraordinary, so much so that I had a player recently that was playing at a pro level that was telling me, you know, very critical of her professional coach. And she was very complimentary of her experience at UNC. And she said something to the effect of, you know, uh, after I played for you, I thought I could play for anyone, basically implying, my gosh, you were so hard on me. Huh. But then she said, bud, through the criticism, I could feel your love. And I can feel uh, the love, I can feel the love of my kids through the documentary. And I just absolutely love it because we are wonderfully demanding uh, of these extraordinary young women. And to hear them talk about their appreciation uh, for that uh, just you know, goes right to the middle of my heart.
1: Well, I tell you what, uh, you have been a great testament to what it's all about and that's doing it the right way. Uh, honor having you on, I can't wait to see the series and again, continued success. And we do appreciate the time always.
3: Well, again, uh, I go back to both of your dads. Uh, I'm connected with them. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here with both of you. So, uh, Mark West, thank you.
1: You got it, Anson. Take care of yourself. Be good. All right, uh, quick break. We come back. We will find West Durham down there in Cartersville, Georgia. But we've got something we're going to show you. This was a tweet from yesterday, and you won't believe what you're going to see. All that is coming up next. Packer and Durham right here on the ACC network. Here's Mark Packer and West Durham. Packer and Durham. My partner's got a little technical glitch down there in Cartersville. I think he's trying to get out early so he can get uh, 36 in today. It's only going to be 125 degrees in Atlanta. Many thanks to Anson Dorrance, man. The guy, one of the all-time legendary great coaches. That special tomorrow night will be out of sight. Also, many thanks to Gabby Sanchez who joined us putting a bow, unfortunately, on the ACC baseball season. Notre Dame yesterday goes down to Texas A&M, and they are out. And so is the ACC, unfortunately. Once again, Omaha, Proves to be difficult for the league, but still a great baseball season. 12 of the 14 teams ranked at some point in time. But I have something for you, though, before we get out of here. This was a tweet that was sent yesterday to a number of us. And for all of us old school guys, check this out. This comes from Eric Kirkland, and he sends it to uh, to us. He said that my dad just passed down his ticket stub from the 1974 nc state ucla semifinal game together we watched the tournament episode of the 1974 and like many he says david thompson is the greatest of all time of college basketball but i want you to pay close attention to this ticket stub because obviously it was uh, it was such an incredible game john Wooden with the and we talked about dynasties here was the end of one when NC State put the end of John Wood and UCLA in the semis, and of course, NC State went on to beat Marquette for the national championship. But the thing I want to point out was look at the ticket price. No refunds, no exchanges, the NCAA semifinal. This is the Final Four. Ten bucks for a lower arena ticket. Ten stinking dollars. That's all there was to it. That is very cool. That thing right there is worth something, I promise you. But uh, Eric Kirkland, we appreciate you sending that. That is a very, very cool deal. And for folks that uh, remember that game uh, in that era, incredible. I mean, we just had the NC State-Maryland ACC Championship game, which some called the greatest ACC game and maybe the greatest college basketball game ever played. Fast forward a couple weeks later, Here's NC State knocking off UCLA in overtime and a thriller in Greensboro. Ten bucks, that's all it took to get into the game. Uh, We're not done with that, though. There was also a Sam Hartman spotting. We just went through our quarterback list. And uh, old Sam Hartman sporting some Carolina Panther gear. Check this out. He's going a little Jake DeLome Carolina Panthers jersey at practice. By the way, I kind of like the kickball game. We need to get into that with Sam next time we're on the program. So he goes, uh, a little Jake DeLome, Carolina Panther deal there, huh? Sam Hartman looking good in Jake's stuff there. So there it is. Uh, it won't be long, by the way. Uh, we got a little talking season getting started here in a couple weeks because we're about less than a month now from uh, the ACC football media days. And uh, once we get to there, man, we'll get all the players. And to me, that's always the start of the college football season. So we still got about another month, but like I said, Today, at least in the southeast in particular, it's going to be smoking hot. So if you got pets, like I do with Chester and Fuller, or whatever the case may be. Be careful with your pets out there, and be careful, period, because it is going to be ridiculously hot. Many thanks, though, to everybody that jumped on board. Again, Anson Dorrance, fantastic. Gabby Gabby Sanchez, talking a little ACC baseball in the big picture. We do wish uh, Kevin Prada the very best from Georgia Tech. He still has a chance to win the Golden Spikes Award coming up. That's about the last piece of business left in uh, baseball for the year. But for everybody back in Bristol, that includes Chrissy... And Angela and Josh in the back row, great job. A partner will be back tomorrow. I'm Mark Packer, folks. Stay cool. We'll catch you on Thursday right here on ACC Network.
0: Tune in to Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app.